Hey guys, this is Naeem and you've reached the Mosaic Church Podcast. So excited that you're part of our listening community and I'd love for you to be even more connected. So check out our website. There's more content there and there's more opportunities for you to get connected in our ministries and events as well. Also, love for you to share this content. If this is blessed to you, I know that God wants to use you to bless other people with it. So share this podcast, if you will. Lastly, would you consider supporting this ministry? This is made possible by other people's generosity, and I'd love for you to pay it forward. Join us to reclaim the message and the movement of Jesus together. So would you consider giving to this ministry? I know that God is able to do immeasurably more through us when we come together. Thank you so much. God bless you. Enjoy. Well, good morning. Good morning. Man, that guy is good. That guy's good. I love I don't watch him every day. Hey, it's so good to see you guys. So good to see you guys. I know. You guys are hyped this morning. Uh, yeah, live stream. These people are hyped. They're hyped. They're on drugs. Anyways, but no, it's so good to see you guys. Um, we are in a series called Open Table. I was at the gym the other day, and man, I'll tell you what, this is so funny, because I, was, I looked at the workout of the day, and uh, I was complaining, okay? I was whining a little bit. I was just, I was like, no, I wasn't, it's supposed to be, in, it was supposed to be internal uh, dialogue, but you know how you don't realize sometimes you're actually saying it out loud? So I said it out loud. I'm like, oh my gosh. And the coach heard me, and he was like, hey, Naeem, you know what? I'm just inviting you to the table, bro. It's an open table. It's an o-. He said it in front of the whole class. I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, just come on in. Everybody's invited. I'm like, and the whole week he's been doing this. See, here's the problem, okay? Here's the problem with inviting your friends and people you work out with to church. It's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. Because you hear the sermon the entire time, and I mean, oh gosh, it was awesome though. It was great. It was great. But we are in a series, and we're talking about this idea that Jesus lived out. He lived out a life that was an open table. He invited people in. He was, uh, he was willing to go to any table. And so what would it look like for us to create that kind of life? And so if you didn't, uh, if you didn't check out, if you don't know last week, you might want to check that out because we're going kind of verse by verse through a passage. It's Luke 14. And and we're kind of doing some exegesis on it. Now, for those of you who know what that means, it's kind of like explaining in detail, verse by verse. For those of you who don't know, you're like, I'm not a church person. It's just extra Jesus. I'm putting an extra Jesus on the scriptures. I had said that joke last week. It worked well last week. But so, okay. Anyways, you get, you get the, you see what I did there? The, whatever, whatever. But we're going to have some fun. We're going to have some fun. So if you have your scriptures, if you have a Bible, if you have a phone, we'll have the verses for you as well. We're going to jump right in. But before we do that, we're going to, by the way, where are we going? We're going to Luke what? Chapter 14. Yes. Is it already up there? No. Okay. okay. I was like, are you guys cheating? No. Now it's up there. Okay. But before we get to that, I do need to talk about something. And you're like, oh, because I don't want this to be like a bait and switch idea. I want this this conversation, this talk, to stand on its own. I'm not trying to like, okay, oh, that's what you did. Oh, at the end of the sermon, this is what you want us to do. That's why you preach the sermon. I'm not doing that. So I'm just going to bring it up right up front. And that is, I want you to locate these, one of these bad boys. Did you see one of these bad boys? 
Okay, see these bad boys? If you can locate them, they should be in front of your chair, uh, the back of the chair that you're in front of. If you're sitting in the front row, good for you, excited. Okay, those should be in the behind or underneath the chair. If you are online, there should be a PDF that your host will hand you or give to you or put in the chat. This is our volunteer team booklet. Here's the deal, people. Guess what we need? Yeah, yes. It's really excited people right there. Or a person. Uh, but, but yes, we need volunteer teams. Uh, we need, uh, so this is a list of all the opportunities that we have to offer. And we have a lot of them. And so here's what we do. We try to make it where you can uh, serve in a healthy way. Uh, we know COVID's happening. We understand your limitations. And we're not one of those people that like, uh, will want to force you or guilt you into it. But I would love for you to consider this, the, while you're sitting there, if you're bored by my message, you're like, uh, this, I'm, I'm not, I got this this sermon, I'm, I'm not interested. You might want to check this out. You might want to check this out, okay? But we'd love for you to participate. Uh, we'll work with your schedule. I'll talk about it at the end of the talk, okay? So I've just told you up front, it's happening. It's coming, okay? Now, let's jump into it. Um, let's go to our passage. Luke, Luke, what was it? Luke 14, Luke 14. So verse 1 we covered last week, and that was all we got to. We all, that's all we got to. So we'll just jump in to verse 2 as well. So the first verse basically said this. It says that when Jesus, he went to a house of a prominent Pharisee, and he was being carefully watched. And we talked about the idea of like, well, are we willing to create a table? Are we willing to do something that might mess up our image a little bit? Uh, because we get a choice. We get the choice to, when we invite people into our lives, we either to mess up our image, to protect our image, uh, or to reflect his image. And that's the kind of life God wants us to live. But it, the story here that Luke writes, it's pretty fascinating. So verse 2, it goes off and says, there in front of him was a man suffering from an abnormal, uh, uh, sorry, an, from an uh, abnormal swelling of his body. Verse 3 says that Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, two kinds of groups of people, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained, they remained what? Help me out. They remained what? Silent. They remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or a what? Ox. A child or an ox. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? It depends on the kid. It depends on the kid, right? <laughs> right, parents? Can I get an it? No? It really does. On certain days, you're like, leave him in there. <laughs> Cover it up. Cover it up with something. Whew. Just stop. Yeah. All right. Anyways, let's go on. Uh, where were we? Oh, yeah. Kid in the... Okay. Okay. Uh, on Sabbath day, and will you not uh, immediately pull it out? Okay. And then they had nothing to say. It ends with that. Okay. So both times they had nothing to say, they remained silent. So what's going on in the story? Number one, let's find ourselves in the story. These stories are very uh, multidimensional. These stories are very intentional. The uh, 
Luke is writing to a particular audience. There's so many different things going on here. So a couple of things to think about is the first idea of this man showing up out of nowhere. Like you're like, out of nowhere, this guy has dropsy, which is the modern day translation of this uh, disease. And, and uh, what it does is it creates fluid, build up fluid in a person's body. So if you Google that, the images are kind of a little bit disturbing, but they are actually, they actually reveal some of the symptoms are connected to the liver, but majority, uh, majority issues are sometimes connected to the heart. So there's a congestive heart failure that might be in play when you have dropsy, which is really pretty interesting. So there's like this heart condition that's the underlining effect to something that's happening, and this person is bloated in a sense, or you know, obviously very sick in front of them. Number one, how did he, how, how did he get invited? Who is this guy? What's going on here? Next, the next verse, though, is this. When Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, two different groups of people. So if you find yourself in the story, maybe you're just kind of just, okay, I'm just part of the crowd. Uh, Maybe I relate to, um, I don't know, the person having the illness. I'm not quite sure. But verse 3, though, here it says, he asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law. Now, the Pharisees, have you heard of the term Pharisee before? Some of you guys, if you read the Bible, you go, I I know that. In Hebrew, though, the word is paroshim. So let's say it out loud. Can we do that? Let's learn some Hebrew. Paroshim. Paroshim. So he's talking to the paroshim, and the experts in the law are called the hazan, which sounds cool. Uh, can you say that out loud? Hazan. No, hazan. <laughs> okay. So he's talking to the paroshim and the hazan. Now, these are two separate groups of people, and they show up in the stories of Jesus all the time. The Pharisees shows up all the time because they're the Pharisees. They're always upset about certain things. Now, why is this so important? Because it seems like Jesus, he's at this dinner, but then he has this teaching moment, and he's just talking to a particular group of people, and those are the two, the Pharisees and the Hazan. He's talking to them. It seems like everybody else can just watch. He's just talking to them because he does something and then he asks them, what do you think? Right? And they, uh, both times they remained what? They remained silent. They had nothing to say. So what is Jesus getting to here? What's going on? What's interesting about the Parashim and the Hazan is that the the Parashim are the people who are called the separated ones. It literally, literally means that. So they were very orthodox in their ways. They would not shake your hand. They're, all, they're like these Jews that just were separated from everyone else. They considered themselves very separated from everyone else. And, and here's the funny part about this. I'm not quite sure why they're actually there in the presence of someone that's sick. It's kind of fascinating. But maybe Jesus is like, oh, these guys are here. I'm going to take this moment and say something. And then you had the Hazan. The Hazan were people who were these genius. That's what they're called experts because, see, back in those days, they didn't have, like, you know, the whole Bible with, like, 2,600 translations on an iPad, right? They didn't have, like, uh, physical books of the Bible or the scrolls. No. Each synagogue, right, groups of people had maybe a part of a scroll, so when you think of, and if you don't know, it's like the Old Testament is like the five books, which is called the, uh, yes, Torah, which uh, th- th- well, you got five, but then you have the rest of the books as well. Now, 
each synagogue or temple did not have the entire thing. And if you don't know this, the, a lot for, for hundreds of years, the Jewish people understood the scriptures because they heard them and they had memorized them, not because they had their own copy of the scriptures. They would open up, you know, having tea. No, no, no. They had to memorize this. See, this idea of oral interpretation and oral memorization has been a part of the Middle Eastern culture for, for, for I don't even know, from the ages. And that's why growing up Muslim in Kuwait, Pakistani, I know parts of the Quran that, honestly, I can't even read some of the scriptures uh, of uh, the Quran because they're written in classical Arabic, and they, they look beautiful. If you look at the Arabic that's in the Quran, the actual Quran versus street Arabic or everyday Arabic, it looks very different. But we had to, as kids, memorize them. So I have, I have memorized, like, chunks of the Quran. And there was a rhythm to it. I don't know if you've ever seen Middle Eastern people or Muslims read, and there's a rhythm to it. So they they remember this. So I I have memories and chunks of the Quran embedded in mind. And here's how it works. And you're like, wow, these people are amazing. But it's so so common for all of us. Like, have you ever, like, heard... All of a sudden, you hear a song that you used to like jam to, like when you were like, I don't know, 10 years old, 11 years old, and you still know the lyrics. You're like, oh my God, I know the lyrics. And then you're like, man, I know the lyrics of so many songs. No, I think it's, it's, it's deeper, right? It's connected. So it is possible to do that, and it was actually extremely necessary for these hazans to uh, exist in uh, this part of the world. Now, why is this all this important? Because Jesus says, I'm going to talk to this group of people. Now, what he's going to say affects us all, just so you know. You're like, okay, this is interesting, but no. It affects everything about us and decisions we make. Even this coming week and even going through this pandemic, it is going to affect all of us. But in there, you need to know he's talking to a particular group of people who have a particular kind of issue, and he addresses it. So he's talking to the Hazan, he's talking to uh, the Paroshim. And the Hazan, he asked them something, right? Remember that? He said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they go, because when he talks about the ox, right? Well, that was permissible. You're okay with saving the ox. Kid, it depends, like we talked about. Okay, but, but actually in some translations, uh, the, the, the child is not mentioned. It's actually another, like, animal. So we can talk about that later. But he, he wants them to kind of think through what is the right decision here. That's what he's getting to. He's like, you are religious you know your stuff. When you're faced with, uh, with uh, in, 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 in one sense, two rights, what do you choose? Do you choose uh, to uh, be right? Do you choose uh, to know what is right, to stand for what is right, to be right when it comes to uh, procedures and policies and when it comes to uh, the letter of the law? Do you want to always kind of do it by the book or is there something else that you need to consider when you think about the decisions you need to make? 
For some of us, we are so caught up in like being the Hazan or the separated ones. We're, we know what we are supposed to do and what is right, and we don't falter from it. And so it doesn't matter what this position is all about or that case is all about. We just do what we know we've been taught, memorized to do, because that is our world. Have you ever been to a place and you like uh, you had this particular issue? You're returning something, but there, it, it's a little bit complicated. It's a little complicated, and the person that's trying to help you or supposed to help you goes, we, we can't do anything about this. And you're like, you know you can. Like, can and then you go, can I talk to your what? Manager. Right, can you talk to your manager? <laughs> right? Why? Because like, can, or, or have you uh, experienced the, the opposite? The, the opposite would be someone going, uh, to, uh, you know, you're talking to them, and they go, uh, I'm not quite sure what we can do, but I'm sure we can figure this out. We can figure this out. There's no procedure for it, but you're more important. So let's figure this out. Let's figure this out. So here, Jesus is like, what do you do as a spiritual person? What is a spiritual person supposed to do? Now, what's even more profound, friends, is this. Okay? Just stay with me here. Now, when he asked the question, is it lawful for you to heal? Some scholars believe he was doing this so in, uh, intentionally because... Those two groups of people, those, the Pharisees and the, the experts, okay, they were in charge of certain things in everyday temple life. So if they would have a church service, they had a synagogue service, here's what would happen every week, okay? Every week would happen. Every week they would have a reading from the Torah. It was called the uh, um, Parashim, or not Parashim, the Parashah reading. The Parashah reading. It's the, basically the five books of the Old Testament. So they wouldn't have like, hey, first song, welcome video, some good news. They wouldn't do that. I don't know if you guys know this, right? Okay, cool music, lights come on. No. They would have a procedure and they would have a ceremony and part, and part, and part of the reading was not like a guy coming or a woman coming and speaking and teaching. No, it was just uh, they're going to read the scrolls. Now, they didn't have all of them. So here's what they would do. Every synagogue would do this. They, every year, every year, they would read the Torah, the five books. They take a passage and they'll go through the Torah that year. They would go there. So that every synagogue meeting, there was a section reading from the Torah. They would read that. It was their weekly parasha reading. But there was also another reading, which was the haftarah. I know you, know, you guys are like, how many words are we talking here? How, what's going on here? You're like, you know what? I knew it. This Middle Eastern guy, he's going to give me all kinds of craziness. Okay, let's, let's, okay. Can you say haftarah? See, easy enough. Okay. So there was a haftarah reading, which is not the five books, but the rest of the Old Testament. Why does this matter? It matters is because the people in this crowd, the, ex, the, the Pharisees and the Hazan, the Pharisees were all like, the, they, they were all about the Torah the Hazan, which was like the people who memorized everything, knew all of the Old Testament. So they would recite this every week. So every week you go to church, and they would have a section of uh, the, the Torah, and then the rest of the reading as well. So they always had like a um, parasha reading, and they had a haftarah reading. Why does this matter? It matters because some have made the case that every time Jesus saw the Pharisees, in his crowd, and he would throw out an idea, he was connecting it to the weekly reading. 
the weekly reading. So they're like, you son of a gun. Because he wouldn't show up at synagogue, but he knew it. He was telling them, I am the husband. I am the Hazan because I know every, all the scriptures. And he's like, I'm the expert too. I am actually the separated one, but I'm with common people, with everyday people. I know all of these things. I know, I know all of it. And when he would say, you remember when he said, I am the word? They would have an issue with him because the word translated in Hebrew is Torah. He's like, I'm the Torah. And I'm living it out. That's why they always followed him along. That's what they were mind, they were like, how does this guy know and how does he connect the weekly readings to this? So when they when he asked, is it lawful to heal on Sabbath? They're like, he did it again. Oh my gosh. And everyone else is like, I want to know, because they didn't talk about it. They just read the scroll. They just read Deuteronomy. They just read the laws. We want to know. And he goes, Let me tell you what you're supposed to do. Let me tell you, when you're given the opportunity to do good and to do right, the right thing to do is to do good and to do right. But for some of you, you are focused on just being right and not doing right. That your religion has been founded on just being good, not doing good. You're, you're losing this whole thing. Then he goes on, right? Verse 4, he says, he says, it's lawful. They remain silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked, right, if any of you has a child, uh, falls into a well, would you not um, save that person on the Sabbath day? And then they said nothing. What, 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 what does he do right after that? He shows them that they're supposed to heal. He shows them that they're supposed to take this person and heal them. And what is phenomenal to me is the interplay of the healing that takes place. See, the, he took hold of the person that some of the Pharisees wouldn't even touch. And then, friends, then, this is so profound. The healing that he healed the person of was a heart issue that swelled up every part of him. As if he took the hold of the, of the person and said, you Pharisees and you experts, this is your spiritual condition. You have your religion is so swelled up. You're bloated with religion. You have a heart issue. Wouldn't you save? Wouldn't you save even an animal on Sabbath? And you're telling me that I can't save this person? Do you see what's happening here? So I wonder if right there he was like, I'm healing this person, I'm taking hold of him, and I'm hoping it heals your heart too. Because you're missing it. You're totally missing it. And see, the phrase, they kept silent, they kept silent, they kept silent. See, that should haunt us. Even if you, uh, if you're, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, like you consider yourself part of the church, and you're you kind of concerned about the, the state of the church in the U.S., that is the one sin that we are guilty of. We remain silent. When we have an opportunity as the church to call out injustice, we go, I don't know. We just, we just don't say anything. If there's any sin that the church has been uh, guilty of, it's just we don't say or do anything. And he's like, that's what you're going to do? You're going to do nothing? 
you see a person, you see something happening here, and you don't move, how bloated is your religion? How badly is your heart failing? How, how ill are you spiritually that you don't even know what the right thing to do is because you're so focused, you're so focused on just being, being right. And friends, I think this is the opportunity that we as a church get to step into. That we go, you know what? We're going to let Jesus make us right, but we're going to do right. We're going to let Jesus make us good because uh, we ain't, uh, but we're going to do good. We're just going to keep ourselves honest and God can make us holy. But we're just going to do what we know we should do. Yeah, let me read you this passage of scripture here. Actually, James 4. James 4 says this. James 4, 17. It says, so, so, if you know of an opportunity to do the right thing today, yet you refrain from doing it, you're guilty of, let's say it, let's say it. You're like, I don't like saying that word. Just say it. It's all good. Sin. What? Yes, if you know, if you know what the right thing is, and you don't do it, it's sin for you. Not for me, for you. I, I, this is, I brought this, this I, was, I was reminded by this, about this, I don't even know why. Like this was probably, I don't know, I, don't know. I, I, I was in college, we were doing, um, we were doing, what were we doing? We were doing a car wash deal to raise money. Have you guys, by the way, they don't make any money, right? You know that, right? They, they, just, just don't. they just don't. But anyways, I was doing a car wash thing for a college group that I was leading, and I was leading this, uh, this car wash. And um, anyways, I had never done this. Like, so much of my experiences um, in church world was like, I had never done this before. Like, the first time I went skiing, uh, snow skiing, I led 80 people. I had never been in snow. Almost died, but hey, thank you, Jesus. Still alive. Okay, so I'm doing this car wash. I don't know. Car, we'll just wash them, whatever. So I was washing a car. What I did not realize is that I took like a metal scrubber to a guy. Just calm down, okay? Hold on. Dude, to, to like these sweet wheels that I really want to shine up. And oh gosh. Oh my, uh, yeah, they looked pretty good when I was getting the dirt off, but I took off a lot of other stuff, and I could re still remember uh, the, the guys, uh, the first thing, he, he tried not to cuss, because it was a church thing, he was like, what the, and I was like, what happened, and they're like, who did this, who did this, and I was like, okay, there are younger people around me, I can just blame them. And he was like, he said, so, and then he said, the next thing he said, someone's going to pay for this. Someone's gonna, it was a free car wash, and now I got to buy him new, new wheels, like, like uh, new rims. And I, uh, I didn't want to, but I remember, I remember going, uh, okay, I'm the oldest person here, and I've got, I'm the guy who did this. 
And just going up and just telling him this was the most humbling thing. And I was just, I thought I was going to get fired from my sort of job. I, I was like, there's no way I can afford these rims. Uh, oh, uh, what's going to happen? Are they going to deport me? Like, what, what's happening? It was back in the day. You know, I was still like figuring out immigration. I was like, what's, what's happening here? But I remember just like having the courage to just say, I did it. And it, it was not great, and I didn't have to pay for it. But man, I, I don't know why I thought of that, because I think that obviously growing up, you have like bigger decisions, right? We have bigger issues that we go, should I tell uh, my coworker that it was me? I lost the deal. Like, it was my fault. Uh, should I fudge on these numbers just a little bit? Should I make myself look better? Should I just avoid telling them this part of the story? Should I not do that? Should I avoid this? Should I cheat just a little bit here? I know what the right thing is to do, but I'm not quite sure if I really want to do it. But how do you manage those things? What is Jesus telling us right here? He's telling us that when you have an opportunity to do good, you need to be moved to do good. Problem is, is that when we're faced with this, we're faced with like just the, just the choice it's either fear, right, fear and pride that, um, that motivate us or that stop us, um, or I believe it's either, either courage and compassion. So when it comes to fear and, and pride, I think there are certain people uh, that struggle with this. You struggle with the anxiety of doing this right thing, and because of that, you don't do it. You're worried about it. You're worried about this, like, I don't know if I can uh, have this conversation. I'm not quite sure if I can let this person in. I don't know if my table, if my circle needs to expand some more. I, there's so much fear. There's so much anxiety that you're uh, dealing with. And, and I just want to say for some of you, you can't live your life like that. You can't go like, well, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure. Because the I'm not quite sure thing, the, the, the fear thing paralyzes you. And, and one of the first things it does is that it, it, you don't say anything. You don't do anything. You're just kind of there. So in situations when you know you should stand up and say something, you just don't. Because you're like, well, I didn't do it. I didn't say it. But you're complicit to it, friend. You're, you're there for a reason. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I mean, come on. You know you're the light of the world. The there's a reason why you're in that moment, in that conversation, and you have to have the courage to do the right thing. Or maybe it's pride. Maybe it's like, I, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that person. I'm not quite, I, I, this, this will mess up my whatever. I, I'm not quite sure if I want to do this. I, I'm not quite sure. Is it pride? Is, it, is, it, is doing the right thing actually saying I was wrong? How many people do you think, I mean, I, I can, as I, when I look at even people, business leaders, politicians, just people having the courage to say, I was wrong. Man, that brings so much healing. That is the most right thing you could say. But for some of us, we get, we get stopped by fear. We get stopped by pride. And Jesus right here is saying, Hey, hey, it's a heart issue when you don't do the right thing. It's a heart issue. It's not a religious issue. It's a heart issue. 
religion might want you to make sure you're right or you, you're, you make yourself right. No, no, I want you to do what is right and continually choose the way of love and compassion. Do this every time. Every time. The one thing that will always last is love. Do it. Do it, friends. And I just want to say, friends, I want you to challenge each and every one of us, where regardless where you are, when you have a choice, and when it comes to our world right now with all kinds of restrictions and things like that, I mean, friends, are we going to just fight for our rights, or are we going to do the right thing? Like, are we just going to do what is the right thing to do in this situation? How can I help? See, that is the motivation of love and compassion. How can I help this situation, this opportunity, this, this environment, this, uh, this plan, this team? How can I do it? Because I'll tell you what, fear and pride doesn't say that. Fear and pride has this inner voice, and I wrote down some thoughts here. The inner, inner voice basically says, hey, hey, I, I, I want to hold on. I want to hold on to my opinion. I want to hold on to my ways, my agenda, my comfort, my security, my convenience. And that's the inner voice. And the voice says, hey, yeah, yeah, because I want to hold on to this because here's why. Because I'm not comfortable. I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not, I don't believe, I don't think, I don't want. And the other voice that's motivated by love and compassion says something else. It says, okay, hold on. How can I help? I can, how can I help the moment, the situation, the person, the tragedy, this, during this pandemic, during this trauma? How can I help? It is that voice that says, how can I help? If, if Jesus is saying one thing, he's saying, if religion, if your spirituality does not cause you to go and ask yourself, how can I help, then I don't know if it's worth anything. You have to be that person. So your inner voice has to be, how can I help? What can I do? Where can I help? When can I help? Who can I help? Yeah. And if, it, if it's anything short of that, it's just a waste. Here's the crazy thing. The reason why he did this on Sabbath, the word Sabbath means a place of rest, a time of rest, which is connected to the same word, the word healing here, which is Shabbat. Jesus was like, you guys are, you guys are like, you guys are living in your Sabbath, pretending to do Sabbath. I took a guy and brought him into Sabbath. I brought him into Shabbat. I actually gave him rest and peace for his soul. So you pick. You pick, you want to pretend that you serve the God of the Sabbath, or do you actually willingly take people out of their pit and out of their dilemma into Shabbat, into peace? And friends, the Hazan and the Porashim, these guys, they all knew this. That's why they're like, we're going to kill this guy. Because they were like, oh, no, 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 we just, we just want to read the scrolls. We just want to have our, our, our Haftarah reading. We just want to have the Parashah reading. We just want to have our readings because we go to the Torah once a year. We go to the rest of this three times a year. We, 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 that's what we do. That's what we do. And he's like, no, no, no. That's not what you do. That's not what you do. The Sabbath was made for, for people. Are you bringing people into Sabbath? Or are you just comfortable practicing it? This challenge is all of us. You know, I, I tell you what, with, with, with what's going on in the world with Afghanistan, you know, and uh, the refugee uh, uh, 
conversation that's come up. And, and uh, I, I, I will tell you this. Some people have asked, like, hey, what do you think of Afghanistan? Because I was, I am Pakistani, neighboring country. Um, and uh, I'm, uh, you know, w- what they look like, in a sense, images. Uh, that's how I kind of grew up. That's what I wore. Uh, our languages are not so similar because they speak Pashto, uh, which is one of the major languages, and I speak Urdu. But I do remember, like, uh, being in Pakistan, visiting um, uh, where Murray, which is a, which is a place where uh, a lot of Afghanis uh, used, to, uh, used to come. And, and uh, during the war, the, a lot of wars of Afghanistan, a lot of Afghanis uh, moved and re- found refugee in Pakistan as well. So that's why they're always connected. And these, unfortunately, this Al-Qaeda and uh, you know, the Taliban and the Mujahideens, if you've ever heard that word, uh, those are all connected because some of them are Pakistanis as well. And so anyways, all that to say, uh, I put a podcast out there for my thoughts. People have been asking. So I put it out there if you guys want to check that out. But I will just say this in terms of uh, people saying, okay, what do I, how do I process this? What are we supposed to do? You know, what are we supposed to do? I will say this. I just, uh, I'm just grateful. Um, I'm just grateful that, um, you know, I can, when I converted to uh, Christianity, uh, I became a religious refugee. I did not know that. Now, I was already a sort of a refugee because I came from a war, but I, be, I, I had a status that I did not even understand because I broke a Sharia law, which is Sharia law is the Islamic law that uh, the Taliban, you know, practice, and, by, and some other countries also practice this. But their extreme uh, interpretation of that law is, is that a person like me, uh, number one, will never enter heaven, their heaven, and should be killed, and the, a family member should do it uh, to pay, to atone for my sin, a, a sin of a person who has left the faith. Uh, we are called coffers. Um, another word. Um, and... Uh, I just know this. I just know that when I was in the, this country, came in on a tourist visa, this, uh, my life changed upside down, that this country uh, was that said yes to me. Like this country said, we'll take you on as a religious refugee. And I'm just thankful for that. Um, and family is thankful for that because we all got religious refugee statuses. And I know that other countries who would never do that, who would never do that. And so I'm just grateful for the country here that when it's given an opportunity, not always, but given opportunities, there are people that says we have to do the right thing and we have to do good. So I just want us to know that we are in good soil. I know there's so much to fix here. There's so much opportunity and there's so many things we have not got right, but we can, we can Knowing this, knowing the heart of Jesus, we can move and we can say, okay, what does it mean for me to help? What does it mean in my world, with my clients, at my home, with my family, with my relationships? What is the right thing to do? I know the right thing for do is to, uh, is to have this conversation, like to, to restore this relationship. But you might think, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Maybe you do. So what is the right thing? You know you need to do. Because if you didn't do it, if you didn't do it, it would be sin. And now sin is not like, oh, sin, I'm going to hell. No, not that. We're not talking about that. You would miss the mark. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be your greatest moment if you did that. So 
I want to pray for us. I want to pray, how can you help that you be motivated by love and compassion? So, now I told you already, one practical thing, if you're thinking, hey, I'm good, but I don't know what else, how else I can help, man, this would be great. This would be awesome. Uh, Look through these. Fill this out if you can during a time that we're going to respond. And then ushers will just collect them when you walk out. And if you don't know, you can just say, I just want to help. Just give us your contact, and we can put you in a place. We can figure it out. If, if this is your practical step, if you're already serving, if you're, already, if you're like, I, I'm not quite sure if I, I want to come back in person, there are opportunities online. Um, friends, we have most of our churches online right now. So there's so many opportunities to care for people, to make calls, to do all kinds of things. Um, so let's, I want to just ask you to ask God, hey, is this something I need to do today? All kinds of information here. Love for you to help out. All right? All right. I want to pray for us. So let's stand together. Can we do that? Let's stand. We, um, you know, Mosaic, we, we take a m- moment uh, and we pray and then we uh, respond. We respond. We sing a song, and, and people go to the cross. They receive communion. Uh, they go light a candle. There's so many different things we can do. But, you know, but there's some of us, our response this morning maybe is really, um, man, when you heard the story, you're like, I'm that person in a sense that I don't even know what I believe in Jesus. I don't even know Jesus. Uh, I get that. I get that. You're the person who goes, I just need, I just need to come to him. Another cool thing about the story is the guy, the person, never said anything. Do you notice that? He just stood there. And sometimes our pain and our sorrow and our brokenness is so big that we cannot say, Jesus, I really need help. I need you. The great thing about God is that he knows. He knows. He knows the outside issues and the inside issues. So this moment, I think maybe your issue is, God, I need you. I need you. I know I I need to do all those other things, but I need you. I need you to take a hold of me and heal me. So I'm going to pray for you. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for who you are and your ability to be in the moment, to speak to all kinds of hearts, people who continue to live in a religion that has defined them. They don't know how else to have a relationship with you. God, you can speak to us. God, you are speaking to us right now for some of us You're praying courage over us. You're praying compassion over us to do what we need to do, to do the right thing, always, always. God, I pray for that. I pray that we will be led by compassion always, always. And Father, today I pray for a person here right now or watching and Their prayer is this, Jesus, I want to know you. I don't know everything about you, but I want to know you. So God, I know that as as we sing this song, 
I pray that they would ask you, Jesus, would you show yourself to me? And for some of us, God, it's, you're already, they're already there. And all they need to say is, Jesus, I give, you my, I give you my life. God, I pray that they would cross the line of, of faith right now in this moment with a simple prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. It's not the only prayer, but it's a great start. Jesus, I give you my life. Thanks for listening to this message from Mosaic Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. For more audio and video content, visit us at mosaicchurch.tv.